Good morning. Good to see you here. I need to turn this down, but I will in a minute here. So I'm excited to introduce Pastor Doug Sonregard. He's no stranger to most of you. Of course, we love them dearly over in Shelley, Idaho, uh, ministering there. Of course, his wife, Bethany, is the daughter of Greg and Cynthia Winchester. And so we're excited uh, to have Doug here for our missions conference. I think he's just going to preach the word. That's what we want. So praise the Lord. Doug. Thank you. It's good to be here with you today. Joining you at the missions conference. We were here uh, yesterday. Some of, you, some of you were here yesterday as well. Mission. The theme for the missions conference is laborers for the harvest. Laborers for the harvest. I was thinking about that. And that doesn't always include uh, going out to a mission field, does it? Most of you, uh, I, as, I, as I look across the audience this morning here, most of you are probably not really thinking about, does God want me to go to the mission field? I mean, you're still in your prime. <laughs> But you're probably not really thinking about that part right now, are you? You're thinking about, how can I serve God here and now, right? You ever find yourself struggling in this life? So since this, the, the theme for the, the missions conference is laborers for the harvest. But what about the harvest right here? Not so much the harvest far away, another country, another place in our country, but right here where I am. So I want us to think about that this morning. I ask a question, do you ever find yourself struggling in this life? Like, like each day is an effort to do what you ought to be doing. Maybe you do. <clears throat> what would happen, what would happen if one spark plug in your car, your car's engine stopped working? I have a spark plug here. <laughs> What would happen if one of those spark plugs quit, quit working? You wouldn't get very far, would you? Well, you, you could keep going. You, you might have the most luxurious car in the parking lot, but if one, three, or five, or ten dollar spark plug isn't creating that little spark that you need, to, and, and it's not doing that one job that it's supposed to be doing, your car won't move at its greatest potential. It will probably keep going. It may start and it may get you where you where you want to go, but your car <coughs> your car will struggle the entire way. Right? And your walk with God is the same way. If your religion, your Christianity, is all a facade, it's all a show, a, a superficial display of good works. You'll impress others. We're surrounded by religious people who are trying to impress others with their good works. It will be, but you, you may be respected by others, your friends, your family. They may think well of you, but just like that spark plug with, or that car with the, the one bad spark plug, you will struggle day after day. 
And just like a lot of the religious people around us, you say, well, I hope, or I'm trying, or uh, I, I'm doing the best I can. You'll struggle. It'll be an effort to appear good, to look like you think a Christian should look. True Christianity is an all-out commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a few passages of Scripture. We're going to start in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. True Christianity is an all-out commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior is not looking for men and women who will give their spare evenings to Him. Or their weekends. Or their years of retirement. Rather, He seeks those who will give Him first place in their lives. Now, if you take that car with a bad spark plug, and you replace all of them, the struggle to progress and get through life will be gone. The same is true in your walk with God. Living for Jesus. That's the title of our topic today. Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. Excuse me. Living for Jesus involves, first of all, a genuine walk with God. Living for Jesus involves a genuine walk with God. I ask you to turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Thank you. This, man's religion, uh, this man shall be blessed in his, in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And then it says this, pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this. It's twofold. First, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And secondly, to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's open in prayer, all right? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we can have together this morning studying your word. I pray that it be an encouragement to each of our hearts today, our walk with you. Help us to live for you today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Living for Jesus involves a genuine walk with God. When you have a genuine walk with God, it, it, will, it will affect how you live. It will affect the rest of your, your life, just like that spark plug. If you have a good spark plug in your car, it will affect the rest of your drive. Over in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, the first three verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When you have a genuine walk with God, you must strive to please Him. You must have, first of all, a heavenly perspective. A heavenly perspective. Think about that. The, the, these verses say that you, it will affect how you see things. 
You'll seek those things which are above, and you'll set your affection on things above. You'll be you'll be looking to <coughs> to those things which are above. What are those things above? They're not things b below, are they? They're, they're heavenly things. You must have a heavenly perspective, but but you also must have a right view of this life. Your affections. These, this passage is telling us your affections must not be on things on the earth. Affections. What are the affections we can have? Love, delight, joy. Uh, what do we have our affections on? Your affections must not be on things on the earth, but you must see yourself as dead spiritually. Dead to these things. It's kind of like, <clears throat> like if you're driving to uh, church this morning and you passed a raccoon on the side of the road and it's been there for a few days and there's a, there's a, um, a church potluck after, after church and you say, that, that raccoon, no one will know. <laughs> You're not going to do that, are you? Maybe some of you would think about it. <laughs> you must see yourself as dead spirit. Just like that raccoon is, is dead and it stinks and we don't want it. In our own walk with God, we're dead to these things. So that you take that raccoon, you put something in front of it. You put a, I don't know, put a nice car in front of it. Maybe you had a nice car in front of it at one this last second on this earth. But it doesn't care. It's dead. The same with us. If we're dead spiritually, if we're dead to the things of this world, we don't care about the things of this world. Our, our eyes are on, on things above. Our, our hope is in heaven. When you have a genuine walk with God, you will strive to please Him. But secondly, when you have a genuine walk with God, you will be wholly surrendered to Him. When during missions conferences, you often hear these verses preached uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Maybe, maybe you're not familiar with them. But go over to Romans 12 real quick. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These verses are telling us several things. They're telling us that a life that is completely consecrated to Jesus Christ doesn't hold on to anything. It doesn't hold anything back. It says a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. <laughs> But it's also showing us that a life that is completely consecrated to Christ isn't polluted by the flesh. It's a holy sacrifice. It's holy. It's pure. It isn't polluted by the flesh. But thirdly, a life that is completely consecrated to Christ is useful to God. It says this is an acceptable sacrifice. It's useful to God. Fourthly, a life that is completely consecrated to Christ isn't an impossible task. It's reasonable. God doesn't ask of us anything more than we can give Him. It's reasonable. And then fifthly, a life that is completely consecrated to Christ 
is not conformed, but it is transformed, is changed, that God can use that life for his glory. And then finally, a life that is completely consecrated to Christ is a trophy of God's grace. And it says in the last part of verse 2, that he may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Living for Jesus involves a genuine walk with God. And that old hymn that we often sing, living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of blessing for me. Living for Jesus involves a genuine walk with God. But secondly, living for Jesus produces powerful results. Produces powerful results. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Living for Jesus produces powerful results. Notice what the verse says. Love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, he, he died for all, and here's why that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Living for Jesus. Personal relationship with the Lord. It results, we see, from his, his love for, for me. Remember First John, it, it, we read in First John a lot about the love of Christ. In First John chapter 4, First John chapter 4, Verse 10, it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that verse say? It says, first of all, he died in my place. He died in my place. <clears throat> and secondly, it says he bore my sins on Calvary. A personal relationship with the Lord results from his love for me. So we can go back to those verses in 2 Corinthians. It says the love of Christ constraineth us so that we would live for him, so that it would make a difference in our lives. Living for Jesus produces powerful results. Over again in 1 John chapter 4, and I turned away from there, but in verse 19 it says, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Believer can't help but answer God's call to serve him. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, the believer can't help but answer God's call to serve, to serve him. And the believer can't help but follow Christ in true discipleship. Again, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, it doesn't matter how healthy or unhealthy you are, if you are a true child of God, you want to serve him and you want to follow him in true discipleship. You want to do whatever you can to please him in all that you do. The believer can't help but give the Lord his entire life. Where, wherever you are in life, you want to give God everything you have, everything you are. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, 
but unto him which died for them and rose again. So again in that song, Living for Jesus, it says, Living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call, follow his leading, give him. Just a little bit of my life, right? No, it says my all, my all. Living for Jesus produces powerful results. Thirdly, living for Jesus is not limited by space or situation. It's not limited by those that, that little world that I live in. <coughs> Over in Hebrews 11, you can turn there with me if you like. Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the heroes of the faith chapter. We see a lot of, in Hebrews 11, we see a lot of people who served God in the past and they live by faith. Living for Jesus is not limited by space or situation. This chapter starts out and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Wherever we are, wherever we are, we must be living for Jesus. We're serving God right now in little town of Shelley, Idaho, <coughs> just south of Idaho Falls, north of Pocatello. It's a growing place. There's a lot of Mormons. In fact, there's there's really, as we go door to door, uh, in, we, we encounter two groups of people. We encounter Mormons, and, and some of the Mormons are they're very staunch Mormons. They, they, and they won't talk to you. Won't really won't listen. They're nice and and everything. There's other Mormons. They, uh, they're just they'll argue with you till till they're black in the face. They don't listen to you. They'll just argue and argue and argue. Then there's a few other Mormons. They, they, they're they call call them Jack Mormon. They're they, they're they're Mormon name only. They they, they don't really know what they believe. But there's another group of people other than the Mormons, and that's the non-religious. Their religion is themselves. They, they will not listen to you because they don't believe in religion. Talk to one man, he said that all religion is a white man's invention. He was a white guy, by the way. And, and we encounter those people. You encounter them here too, don't you? Very few people are not either Mormons or Absolutely non-religious. It's one or the other. There's a few times we, we do meet up with people that go to Calvary chapels or something like that. But uh, wherever we are, in our little corner of Idaho or in your little bigger corner, wherever you are, you must be living for Jesus. Wherever he might lead us. Look at verse 8 in, in uh, Hebrews 11. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and went out not knowing whither he went. When God sent us to Shelley, we were basically going, we, we didn't know, we just knew that was where God was leading us at the time. Abraham didn't know where he was going, he'd never been there before. But we must be living for him, living for Jesus, wherever he went. But then in verse 9, continuing with Abraham, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, 
as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. We must live for him because the, this world is not our home. We're pilgrims here. We're strangers. We don't belong here. Wherever we are, we must be living for Jesus. And whatever we're doing, we must be living for Jesus. Look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not seek death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. This is, this is a life of striving to please God. Striving, constantly striving to please God. We want to please him. We want to do what's right. We want to honor him with our lives. This is a life of striving to please God. Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is a life of faith. Those people we talk to when we go door to door, they, they don't, more often than not, they don't have faith. Without faith, it is impossible. They're trying to please God, but they're trying to do it in their own way. What about us? Are we trying to please God in our own way or are we doing it by faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. This is a life of faith. And then verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the, heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. This is a life of just doing what's right. Doing what's right, day after day after day. For those of you who were here yesterday, and one of the questions I, I said that, um, Sundays are hard for us. And I said Mondays are harder. And it's, it's true. And the reason I, I didn't take the time to explain that before, I, I, I don't, it's really hard to explain, but for our kids, especially, Mondays are very hard for them. They can't, they're not ready to do school. They're not ready to uh, see other people. They just need to uh, basically decompress. And so Mondays are very hard for them. Uh, and, I, and I think it's because, partly because most of them are not saved yet. Be, be in prayer for them. So they go to church trying to do what's right, be nice, and be, be little angels that they can't be. And then Monday, they they just kind of fall back into their old natural ways of not being angels. <laughs> That's why we couldn't bring the two boys today. <clears throat> but whatever we're doing, you and I must be living for Jesus. Wherever we are, we must be living for Jesus. And whatever we are going through, we must be living for Jesus. Over in Isaiah chapter 43, it says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God. Whatever we're going through, sometimes we're going through the valleys, darkest of night. Sometimes we're going through the, the it's like the mountains, and, and it's just, 
It's a, a high, high, um, just everything's going well, going wonderful. But whatever we're going through, we must be living for Jesus. On our own, though, it's impossible to please him. Remember that verse in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Over in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 8. It says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Doesn't matter if you're a Mormon or a Baptist. Mormons obviously can't. But they that are in the flesh, when we are in the flesh, we're not pleasing God. There's another verse over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that says, it, it tells us basically that as believers, we ought to be pleasing God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. As believers, we ought to be. Seeking to please God in all that we do. So, go back to he going back to Hebrews eleven. The first step to pleasing God is through faith in Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't matter how well we try. It doesn't matter how much we work at it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Doctor Stanley, he went to Africa to find David Livingston years ago. Found him at last in the depths of the, of the unknown Central Africa. He invited the missionary to return home with him, but Livingston refused. His work was not yet done. After saying farewell to Stanley, Livingston wrote in his diary, Oh Jesus, Master, my Lord, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole life to thee. See, Living for Jesus is not limited by space or situation. It's not limited by where you are, where you are in this life, where you're going through. Living for Jesus wherever I am, doing each duty in his holy name, willing to suffer affliction and loss, deeming each trial part of my cross. Living for Jesus. It's not limited by space or situation. But then fourthly, and lastly, Living for Jesus will impact every priority in life. Every priority in life. <clears throat> Go over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We all have priorities. You ever tell your tell someone you, you need to have you need to get your priorities straightened out, get your priorities in order, you need to have the right priorities. Well, does that ever stop? You always have to have the right priorities, right? Over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's a priority in life for the child of God, for you and for me. Living for Jesus will impact every priority of life. And the verse says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it means that we need to have the right priorities in life. 
Living for Jesus must be a priority for our entire life. The, the very next verse says, Take therefore no thought. And so here's the result of having the right priority, having the priority of seeking Christ first. The results, but take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Living for Jesus must be a priority for our entire lives. As long as we are occupying our little dash of space in history, we must be living for Jesus. You ever go down to the cemetery and you see these, uh, you see the, the tombstones? There's a, there's a dash, there's a, a two, two years, right? There's two dates. And then right in the middle, there's this dash. And that is that some dashes can be short, some dashes can be long, some dashes can be full of trials and troubles and tribulation. But each one of us is right now, we are occupying that little dash of space in history. What are we doing with that dash? As long as we are living, as long as we are occupying that little dash, we must be living for Jesus. Earlier verses, in fact, let, let's pick it up in verse 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Verse 31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Your walk with God must be more important than anything else. Yes, we have needs, and we have cares, and we have concerns, and we have these problems in life that we have to deal with. But living for Jesus must be a, a priority for our entire lives. It must take a priority before all these other cares that we have. Secondly, living for Jesus must be a priority above all else. Above all else. Over in Philippians chapter 1, there's a little verse there that you've probably heard many times, but I want you to notice one more time this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living for Jesus must be a priority above all else. In 1925, Betty Stam said, Lord, I give my own purposes. I, I give up my own purposes and plans, all my desires and my hopes and my ambitions and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to thee to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all my friendships. All the people whom I love are to take second place in my heart. 
Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever, to me, to live as Christ. Amen. Nine years later, nine years later, on December 8th, 1934, Betty and her husband John Stam calmly and bravely laid down their lives for Christ when they were martyred by the Chinese communists. But at one point she wrote this. I want you to think about these words that she wrote. When we consecrate ourselves to God, we think we are making a great sacrifice. It's true, isn't it? Lord, here's my life. Isn't that, isn't it wonderful? I'm giving you my life. Well, he had it in the first place. But she said, when we consecrate ourselves to God, we are thinking we are making a great sacrifice and doing lots for him, when really we are only letting go some little bitsy trinkets we have been grabbing, and when our hands are empty, he fills them full of his treasures. Living for Jesus must be a priority above all else. But then thirdly, living for Jesus must be a priority that reaches out to others. Reaches out to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We already looked at a couple of verses there. Why don't you go back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice again verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So living for Jesus must be a priority that reaches out to others. And so I want you to notice four things here. First of all, the love of Christ reaches down and saves us. It reaches down and saves us. I like that word constraineth. Any farmers here? Have any former farmers? Any? <laughs> I, I'm I'm getting desperate. Okay. So when you when for ranching, ranching they they have every once in a while they have to give shots or take care of a cow or that that is struggling and or they they have to give it a shot every once in a while and so they put it in this this thing called a squeeze chute. Anyone familiar with the squeeze chute? Okay, that's better. <laughs> that word, the, the squeeze chute, is picturing that word constraineth. Constraineth. It means that you put the cow in the squeeze chute, it can't go forward, it can't go backward, it can't go to the side, it at least it's not supposed to. It can't go up. It, it's, it's constrained in that thing. So that you can do what you got to do to take, take care of it. And the same is true here in this word, for, for in this verse, for us, the love of Christ constraineth us. We can't get away from it. We can't go forward, we can't go back, we can't go side to side, or we can't go up. We can't get away from the love of Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ encompasses us so tightly, we can't get away from it. And so the result is, in this verse, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Goes on and says that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So, the first thing we have here is that the love of Christ reaches down and saves us. But secondly, the love of Christ compels us to live for him. 
that he died for all, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, rose again, verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we know we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we know him no more. So what, is, what these verses are saying is that the love of Christ compels us because it constrains us and encompasses us so tightly, we are compelled to live for him. But then we can take it a step further, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Because the love of Christ is constraining us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And so, what we have here is that this produces a life that is transformed, it is completely transformed for the glory of God. And so that brings us to verse 18. And all things are for God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation. So this verse is saying Christ, God reconciled us. He, he, he reconciled us to himself. He, he made us alive in Christ. And so we, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation to take this message to, to the world around us. To wit, and that means, here, let me explain that to you. To it that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, we have the word of reconciliation. Now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's you and me. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that be ye reconciled to God. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, we, we're, so we need to be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what we have here is that we are given this double ministry of reconciliation. Not just the ministry, but the word of reconciliation to take to the world around us because we are ambassadors for Christ. So this double ministry of reconciliation is to see the lost come to Christ and is then to see them grow in Christ. Living for Jesus must be a priority that reaches out to others. Living for Jesus. It will impact every, every priority in life. Every priority. Living for Jesus through earth's little while my dearest treasure, the light of his smile, seeking the lost ones he died to redeem, bringing the weary to find rest in him. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 5. <clears throat> we didn't open up with this passage of scripture because I wanted to close with it. Genesis chapter 5. And I want you to notice with me this man Enoch. We read briefly of him in Hebrews chapter 11. But in Hebrews or in Genesis chapter 5, we find him mentioned again. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. And Enoch lived 16 five years and began Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he began Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 316 five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There's a lot in those verses. And the explanation is in Hebrews 11. We're not going to go there again. You can read that later. But Enoch, 
It says that he walked with God. He walked with God. Week after week. Day after day. Hour after hour. Day by day and moment by moment he walked with God. For 300 years it says. That's a long time. He walked with God. What a testimony. He walked with God. In the same way that continuous maintenance of your car, replacing the spark plug, changing the oil, and, uh, you have to do that. It's necessary to keep it operating at its full potential. A constant walk with God is also necessary to live your life to its fullest potential. I mentioned the song Living for Jesus, and I, I shared with you the verses. The chorus of that song says, Oh Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. For thou and thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. I'd like to invite each of you to rededicate yourself to the Lord today. You say, well, I, 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 I don't have, I can't go to a mission field. That doesn't, I didn't ask you that. We're not here to, to go to a mission field. We're here just to serve God from day to day, living for Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. My time my ambitions, my future, my possessions, my positions, everything I am and everything I hope to be must be lived in and through and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, these, these passages of Scripture. And thank you for each one here this morning. I pray that you would help us to live for you today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives. Help us as we live, as we occupy that, this little dash of space in history that we would live for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.